it's funny how you can learn quite a bit about someone after being married for a few years. Uh, but Jennifer and I uh, weren't married that long when this story took place about 15 years ago. We were uh, in our mid-20s. Uh, we were without uh, children, but we had one along the way. Uh, she was uh, nine and a half months pregnant, and of course, uh, the day came. Uh, it was December the 10th, 2002. And Wyatt had already been named, though we hadn't seen him, but we were anxiously awaiting the birth of our uh, little baby boy. She was probably a little more anxious than I was for obvious reasons, but after a rather long labor and delivery, uh, we finally welcomed Wyatt into the world. Uh, it happened uh, late at night, and we, we didn't get a whole lot of sleep that night. Uh, and in fact, that next day would be a, a very busy day. It was We had folks who were coming in constantly to come see us, not really to see us, more to see uh, little Wyatt, uh, but to visit with us. And it just happened that we didn't have just a ton of visitors, but somehow they timed it where right as one was walking out the door, the next one came in. And so we we honestly had about 12 hours of visitors, and it was, it was nighttime, and we were exhausted. We hadn't slept the night before. In fact, we'd, we'd basically gotten maybe an hour or two of sleep over the last 36 hours, and we were, we were ready to get some rest. And the nurse came in and said, would you like us to take Wyatt uh, to the nursery? And we thought, well, good parents don't just send their kids away, but we're so exhausted, we need a little rest. So we agreed to let uh, the nurses take Wyatt. He went off uh, to the nursery, and we finally got a little bit of rest. She was uh, in the hospital bed. I was oversleeping uh, on this little couch that they had there. Uh, and about 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, he'd been born about, I am guess, a little over 24 hours prior uh, they came into the room, and, uh, and he was fussing. And they said, what is time for him to eat? Well, we were really confused about that. Jennifer was confused about that because he had just fed just a few hours before and couldn't figure out, well, he is screaming and crying, and I'm, I'm on the couch. And I didn't realize this at the time, but um, sleep deprivation works different for different people. For me, uh, it... It causes my mind not to work correctly at all. And I've learned this over the years, but at that time we'd only been married five years. An episode had not yet occurred, and so it was the first time we were in the hospital. Uh, Wyatt is screaming and crying. Something is wrong. We didn't know what is wrong. Jennifer is telling me, Doug, come here, Doug, come here. Well, I start to wake up, but I don't finish waking up. Um, I... I remember very clearly that moment when I opened up my eyes and the, the six feet between the couch that I was laying on and the bed where Jennifer and Wyatt were were completely uh, obscured by huge green jungle leaves. I could hear Jennifer... I could hear Wyatt, he was there, but I couldn't see them because of the jungle. 
that was in front of me. I didn't quite, I didn't have, this hadn't happened to me before. It's happened several times since. Not always a jungle scene. Something's going on where if I don't get enough sleep and I wake up in the middle of the night, it usually involves me screaming. And Jennifer has to tell me, it's a dream, go back to sleep. But none of this had happened. She is holding a a one-day-old baby that is screaming and crying. And she says, Doug, come here. Doug, come here. I need some help. And so I did the only thing that I knew to do. I got off the couch. And I got down on all fours. And I began crawling towards Jennifer and the sound of the baby. And I can remember moving my hands because the jungle leaves were in the way. And I kept yelling, it's okay, I'm coming. I'll be there in a second. And I'm seeing green leaves. She's seeing a guy on the floor who she is wondering who he is and why she married him. And I finally make it there and I can remember grabbing the rail of the bed and pulling myself up and things start to dissolve away and I see Wyatt and I see Jennifer right there and I'm like, everything's okay. I made it. I'm here. Let me take him. And she looked at me and gave me a look that I hadn't seen in the previous five years. And she said, you're not touching my baby. (laughs) I couldn't see. There was too much going on, and my mind couldn't process what had happened, and I was caught in a jungle. I couldn't see what was right in front of me. I, I could hear it. I knew it was wide. I, was, I knew I was awake. I, I could tell it. I had my senses. I, I felt myself on the floor. But something was preventing me from actually seeing my wife and my child in that small little hospital room that we were in. There are so many obstacles that we face, not just in our minds, but also in the life around us. Some of these obstacles are ones that are placed in front of us by us, others by circumstances in our surroundings, our environment, and some of them are placed before us by Satan himself who is trying to keep us from seeing what really is going on in our lives. Obstacles like our career, which is a good thing. I'm not here to say you shouldn't work. In fact, God has called us to work from the very beginning. The punishment for Adam was not that he would have to work, but that there would be toil in work. God created us for that, and yet in some ways, we have allowed ourselves to become slaves of our jobs. Relationships can be obstacles. Both healthy relationships and dysfunctional relationships can take away our time and our energy and our resources and our focus. And we spend so much time on these relationships, both good and bad, that they create this jungle in front of us and we lose sight of what we're called to. Many of us 
The obstacle in front of us between a deeper relationship with God is fear. Fear for things that could possibly happen and fear for things that would never possibly happen. They paralyze us. I was listening to the radio the other day, listening to a, a preacher uh, share a little a sermonette, and he said something that I didn't really like, and I, I thought, I don't know that I really want to believe this, but I think maybe it's true. He says, you can't trust God and be consumed with worry. And I said, you know what, I don't really like that, but I think he's right. I think too many times we get consumed with what's going on and we worry and we allow it to paralyze us and we can't see what God has placed before us. For some of us, the obstacle we have in front of us is really ourselves. It's our ego. It's our arrogance. It's a thought that there might be someone or something greater out there or that He might not give us the things that we really want to have. For some of you, you have spent a season of your life in tragedy. And the obstacle that is before you is heartache. It is out of sheer sadness and hurt that you feel like you can't function or believe or even know about the promises of God and if they're really true. We hear Him, but we're not really sure that that is Him or that He's speaking directly to us. Maybe the obstacle in front of you is desire. There are other things that you want to do you work hard five days a week. You get two days off. Why waste one of them in a purple pew at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning? There's other places you could be. The boat calls you. The golf course is where you ought to be. For some of us, the obstacle we have is the desire for more things. If we have the next gadget if we have the newest car, if we have you know what your Amazon shopping list looks like. The things that we desire can keep us from a God who will not accept second place. But for most of us, the obstacle that prevents us from a deeper relationship with Jesus is just exhaustion. How many of us this morning would describe themselves as renewed and refreshed and energetic and ready to go? In fact, most of us would put ourselves on the opposite end of that spectrum. 
where we are exhausted and we're worn out and we just need a break. And Satan loves to do this to us. He will pile us on with more and more and more things until we are completely worn out. We can't see, hear, or believe in a God because we have no energy left inside us. We are running and we are running and we have lost sight of where the end is. We're caught up in all the junk, the minutia that goes on in life. And so this morning, I just want to reassure you that you're not alone. That this is not something that just you feel, and it's not something just we feel, and it's not something that just the whole world feels now. It's something that from the very beginning... God has called us over and over again out of busy. He says, come to Me. Take away that heavy burden and take My yoke. Come and have rest. Stop believing in all the junk that's going on around you and let it just be you and I. For the church in Colossae 2,000 years ago, this was what they were wrestling with. So much junk had come in and people had come in and infiltrated after Epaphras had started this church that Paul would take time while in prison to write this letter to them and says, listen, don't believe all these things that you're hearing. It would really be another hundred years or more before this idea of Gnosticism really bloomed fully, but the beginnings were in the church in Colossae. This idea that humans that matter is all evil and the spirit realm is good. And because the spirit realm is good, we ourselves in our bodies are evil. And so one of the things the Gnostics believed is that you are human and so you're evil. You will never be good, so stop trying. Just give up on it. But for those who had this higher learning, this knowledge, this Gnostic type of thinking, that you could attain something greater outside. And they began worshiping angels. And they said, you know what? We can't believe in this Jesus because Jesus is a person and all people are evil. And therefore, Jesus was not enough. That thought had so infiltrated the church that Paul would have to write a letter to them and he would remind them of what's ahead. And it's the most beautiful passage all throughout Colossians and it speaks so strongly of this idea of baptism, of being buried. He says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, since then you have been raised with Christ. And the Greek actually could say, if you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your heart on things above, not on earthly things. For you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ 
in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with Him in glory. Paul was reminding them that all the things that were going on in their life, that they shouldn't lose sight of what it was really all about. It was about Jesus Christ. All this stuff that people were saying, all these ways that they were getting caught up, he says, forget that. Focus on Jesus Christ. How in the world could Richard Wormbrand the gentleman we just watched the video on. How could he spend 14 years in prison and just survive? How could he do that? That in and of itself is a miracle. But it wasn't just that he survived. How could he somehow have any sliver of faith being locked in cells, being beaten over and over again. And how could Richard Wormbrand, while in prison, pray for the people who beat him so severely that he would be hobbled for life? How can he do it? Because he had his eyes fixed on Jesus. This week, the world is going to throw a lot of stuff your way. And Satan is going to try to trip you up. And even though there's clear sight between you and Jesus, he's going to make you think there's stuff right in between and you just can't get to him. And some of you are going to listen to him. And some of you are just going to keep buying into this idea that you're just not good enough or He can't save you or He doesn't love you. But Paul says, you've been raised with Christ. And there is nothing, including a prison in Romania, that can keep you from a relationship with God. He's going to go ahead and close out the chapter with this. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart is working for the Lord and not for man. For you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as your reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Satan is going to throw obstacles in your way. Push them aside. Hurdle them. Break through them and allow the Spirit to use you in a powerful way that you can stay focused on Him. I'm impressed with the story. Amazed, touched by the story of Richard Wormbrandt. But I see the way that you're living your lives in difficult ways and you're having tragedy and to see you keep going inspires all of us. And God is glorified through that. Don't stop glorifying Him. Focus on Him. Right now, I'm going to ask that you stand. We're about to sing a song of encouragement and of invitation. I want to remind each one of you to stay focused on Jesus and the promise that He has for us.
Please stand and sing with us this morning.